You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CiboloCreek.com. So uh, I have a very good friend of mine I met uh, about 23 or 24 years ago. The minute we met, we just hit it off. Uh, we, it, it, I don't know, we just clicked. He has a warped sense of humor like I do. And um, we just had a kindred spirit with one another and um, soon became great friendship and uh, started hanging around together. At the time, uh, at the time I met him, he, he and his wife uh, had two little children. And uh, we'd hang out together, do some fun things together. I'd see that he'd have a few beers while we were having barbecue. And I, you know, I'd think, you know, well, everybody in Texas drinks beer, right? And so I didn't think a thing of it. Friendship starts to grow. And I come to learn, out, learn from him that he's had a bit of a drinking problem. Started when he was in high school. He was never really comfortable socially, always felt a little out of place and awkward. So he started, uh, when he first got introduced to alcohol and the buzz, he really felt like, I enjoy this. I like this. This is more comfortable. And um, he would later come to find out that his need for approval and affirmation from others was really important to him. And so he set a lot of high expectations for himself. And when he couldn't meet those expectations or he felt like he disappointed somebody else, one of the ways that he would cope is by drinking. He went off to high school on a scholarship, went off to college on a scholarship and um, made a stupid choice, ended up losing his scholarship, had to leave school. And uh, the disappointment and discouragement from that experience just led to more drinking. As we got sort of acquainted with one another and more familiar, uh, one evening his wife called the house and she told me that uh, he was at a bar in Bernie. He was really, really drunk and he was thinking about driving home. And she had two concerns. She was worried about him driving and drinking. And quite frankly, she really wasn't interested in him bringing that drama home with her and the kids. So I went out to Bernie. I found the bar where he was hanging out, which is always interesting when the preacher walks into a bar <laughs> in the town where his church is, because very few, very few people will give you the grace of thinking about why you might be there. They just sort of make it up and assume. So I went in, I found him at the bar and uh, talked him into coming home and uh, took him over to a friend's house who had, we had made arrangements for him to stay there. Got his feet back on his, got his feet back under him, and a couple weeks later, um, it was decided that he could no longer stay at his house. His wife said, I've, I've had enough. We can't do this. We can't live like this. We can't raise a family like this. So he went, and he went to live with his sister and brother-in-law, and they had one rule. They said, you're welcome to stay here for as long as you need, but you can't drink, and that didn't last very long. So one night late, his sister-in-law called me, and she said, uh, hey, um, he can't come home this evening, and I don't know where he's going to go, but I'm not going to empower this, so I don't know how we're going to work it out, but he can't come back here. So I drove back out to Bernie. He was getting off of his job there at Home Depot, and I was in the parking lot waiting for him to get done. He finally comes out to his truck, and I get out of my car, and I said, hey, um, where are you headed? He said, well, honestly, I was headed to a bar. 
I said, what are you going to do after that? He said, well, I was just going to go back to my sister-in-law's place. And I said, no, you can't do that. Why? Well, from what I understand, you broke the rule. No, I, I had a few drinks. It was no big deal. Well, that wasn't the arrangement. You were not supposed to have any drinks. And he was getting a little upset. He's like, well, I, I don't have anywhere else to go. I mean, I'll, I'll just end up sleeping in my truck. I said, well, you're going to come home with me. So we brought him back to our house. Um, my wife, Charlotte, and I, we, uh, we moved out of the master suite so that he could have some privacy, have his own bathroom. We took our two boys, we put them in, their own, in the same room together, and then Charlotte bunked down in the twin bed, and I slept on the floor. For three months, he lived with us. Those first couple weeks were really rough. He was trying to detox. Eventually, we started sharing meals together, started hanging out, talking honestly. About three months later, he was in a good place. He was a good place. He went home again. It wasn't long before he wasn't in a good place again. We eventually made arrangements for him to go off and get some, get some help. It's interesting, if he was here with you today telling his story, which he tells a wonderful story about how God's been at work in his life, he would tell you that, that Charlotte and I, we had a part in what would become of his life, but we were just two of dozens of people who surrounded him, who walked with him, who picked him up and brought him home, who prayed for him, who loved him, who accepted him, who asked him the hard questions, who kept him accountable. He would tell you that the story of his recovery was a lot of people who came around of him and would be a part of his journey. And this week, this week he celebrated 16 and a half years of sobriety. And as I was celebrating the fact of his sobriety all those years, I was celebrating the fact that the story of his life is the story of what we're talking about. We're talking about a redemptive community. And his story of recovery and his 16 years of sobriety is a story of redemptive community that we started talking about last Sunday. The body of Christ, Christians, friends, and family who supported him and encouraged him and walked with him through really, really hard times to get him to a place to understand God's love for him and God's grace toward him and live in the power of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He'd be the first to tell you whether he'd use the word or not. He'd be the first to tell you that the story of his life and where he's been and where he is now is part of what we call a redemptive community. A redemptive community is a gathering of people through whom God uses the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection to restore what was ruined by sin. And if you need a single word for that definition, it's this, the church. What God intended the church to be was not some building with stained glass and steeples, pews and pulpit. What God intended the church to be was not some service that was held for an hour or so on a Sunday morning that you went to and, and sort of went through the motions. What God intended the church to be was a community of people who shared together an affinity with Jesus 
and an understanding of the gospel, the good news of his death, his burial and resurrection, and the power that it brings to our lives for God to do his redemptive purposes in human beings' lives and restore what has been ruined by sin. And if there was anything that I craved for this church family here at Cibolo Creek Community Church is that we would get really good at understanding what it is to be a redemptive community. I want to talk to you a little bit more about what it takes to have a redemptive community. So we all know whether you do much baking or cooking or not, we all understand what a recipe is, right? We understand how a recipe works. And it's best that if you follow the recipe, you'll most likely get this thing that you're wanting. Let's imagine it's a cake. You follow the recipe. Now, if you're a really, really good baker, if you're a really, really good chef, you might fudge a little bit on some of the ingredients, but you generally play by the rules of a recipe in order to get what it is that you hope to get. So much butter, so much milk, so much sugar, so much baking powder. There's always a little bit of salt, all right? But we all understand if you try replacing too many things, cheap substitutes as a recipe, you're not going to get exactly what you had hoped for. So if while you're making your cake, you realize, you know what, I, I, I don't have enough milk. Oh, but wait a second. In the medicine cabinet, I have some milk of magnesia. It says milk. I'll use that. And you're working through the recipe and you realize, I don't have enough butter. But wait a second, my wife uses this skin conditioner, it's called body butter, that's butter, I'll just use a little bit of that. The recipe calls for baking powder, but you say, I have some baking soda, it says baking, I'll just use that. It says bake in an oven for 45 minutes at 350 degrees. And you go, I don't have that long to wait for my cake, so I'll just put it in the microwave oven for, we'll try 15 minutes. Surely that will work. And here's what we all know as adults, as human beings, as intelligent people, we will get something. If you use those recipes, you will get something. You just won't get anything that tastes like and looks like and smells like the cake you were hoping to bake. Am I right? This is true in all sorts of dimensions of life. You follow the recipe, you get the results that you're looking for. So here's what I want you to understand. If we're talking about baking the cake of a redemptive community, there are some key ingredients there are some things that have to be a part of that community in order for the God's redemptive work to thrive in our midst. So today, I wanna, I wanna share with you six vital ingredients to what it takes to bake a redemptive community. You guys interested? Okay, now, there's six of them. That's a lot. I'll try not to bore you with all the details, we're going to have to go through them fairly quickly if I'm going to get the service done in time, which I'm working on, getting this service done on time. Um, 
So here's, we're just gonna kind of briefly touch. The very first ingredient that it takes to have a thriving redemptive community is what I might call the supremacy of Jesus. In order for a redemptive community to work, Jesus has to be at the top of the list, the most important priority, the most important person that we're looking toward for direction about life. Jesus has to be, as the Bible describes him, Jesus has to be Lord. The word Lord that's used throughout the scripture, it comes from the, the realm of like royalty, and it's about being the king, it's about being the boss, it's about being in charge. It's interesting when you study the gospels, Jesus is referred to primarily as Jesus and occasionally as Lord. If you walk into the New Testament epistles from Acts all the way through the book of Revelation, he's no longer referred to simply as Jesus, he's primarily referred to as Jesus Christ our Lord. Because the New Testament church was built on the understanding is that Jesus would be supreme in their midst. That what we're inviting people to, what God's calling people to, is not the church, is not the pastor, is not some key leaders in the church. We're looking to Jesus. He's the single most important influence in the entire community of faith. This is essential to our understanding of our faith. The Apostle Paul says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is what? Supreme, king, the boss. If I come to a place of recognizing that Jesus is the Lord of my life and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, rescued from the power of sin in your life. So Jesus has to be supreme in a redemptive community in order for it to work. Does that make sense? So just then as you receive Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him as the one who's in charge of your life. So first place we begin is asking ourselves the question as a church, asking ourselves as individuals, is Jesus, in fact, the most important influence in my life? Because redemptive community begins there. The second ingredient is the centrality of the gospel. In other words, the gospel of Jesus as the Lord, the gospel of Jesus has to be the center of everything about that community. And the word gospel means good news, and it's centered around the fact of Jesus' uh, death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. That is the heartbeat of the gospel. And so a redemptive community must recognize that what we're calling people to and where redemption even begins is somewhere anchored in this historic event of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not going to be timid about telling people about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I don't care how unpopular it might be. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God. The power of God rests in the proclamation of Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. In other words, the gospel is essential to how a redemptive community operates. 
So it's interesting. From time to time, people will make appointments to come and visit with me, and they want to they wanna talk about something that's, that's um, not working in their life. Maybe it's their marriage. Maybe it's a relationship with their teenagers. Maybe it's an addiction. And they want to talk about something that's just not working. And in the cor- if I don't know them very well, in the course of our conversation, I'm trying to get acquainted with a little bit of their background, because oftentimes our background has an enormous influence on our current realities of life. But one of the questions I'll ask somebody is this, tell me about your relationship to God. Tell me about your relationship to Jesus. What's your understanding of all of that? And sometimes I meet with people and they say, well, I'm not really sure what I believe about God. And I'm not really sure what I believe about Jesus. Well, that's important for me to understand, to establish a baseline of how I'm gonna approach helping them sort out the issue that they're facing. Because here's what I believe that a person, a man and a woman, a human being, were born with a sin nature. And that sin nature has a power over our lives that we cannot deal with as human beings apart from the power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. Because what we understand from what happened at the cross is that Jesus was victorious over sin and released its um, power in our lives so that I don't have to live shackled to the power of sin forever. And so it's important to me to help somebody to understand, are they even aware of, are they in any way utilizing the power that God gives to them through their faith in Jesus Christ or not? That's a very important place to start. So in a redemptive community, we have to begin there. What is a person's relationship to faith in Jesus Christ because of what the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ offers to us as human beings. Until a person begins a relationship with Jesus, they do not have the divine resource of overcoming the grip and the influence of sin in their life. It's just not the way that it works in a spiritual realm. So, because the gospel is center to what we're doing as a church, guess what? Go ahead, guess. Communion is an important practice of all the things that Christ asks us. He really only asks us to do two things. When you make a decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ, be baptized and announce publicly what the gospel means to you. And the only second instruction that Jesus really laid down for the church or mandated for the church was the observance of communion. And what is communion all about? It's about bringing the church back to the centrality of the gospel. We all come back to the cross. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Don't ever forget about what happens at the cross. So the supremacy of Jesus, the centrality of the gospel, the third ingredient of a redemptive community is recognizing the authority of scripture. The historic faith of Christians is this belief that our Bible is a collection of God's words to us as human beings. It is revelation from God, and it defines how we are to live our life and how we are to practice our faith. And so at the end of the day, what a redemptive community does is it's always inviting people back to Jesus as he's described and declared in the pages of the scriptures. We are looking to God's word for guidance for our community. So if you have your Bibles and you turn to the book of Matthew, join me in Matthew chapter seven. I love this passage of scripture, Matthew chapter seven. 
Again, those of you who are new to this, the big numbers are the chapters. So chapter seven is what you're looking for. We're going to then go down to the smaller numbers, which is the verses. We look at verse 24. So well, here's the context. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus is preaching a message to a large group of people. In the audience is his 12 disciples. And it's like he's talking on two different levels. He's talking some instructions to his disciples, but he's sharing these instructions to his disciples in the company of this larger group of people. And he talks about all these other, uh, all these interesting topics. All this, he talks about lust. He talks about divorce. He talks about being judgmental. He talks about being um, kind and compassionate and loving. He talks about heaven. He talks about hell. And then he comes to the end of his message, and this is how he concludes. Verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice He's sort of like what we might describe as a wise man who built his house on rock. Remember last week we were talking about the importance of foundation? Jesus says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's like a very wise person who builds his house on rock. And here's what happens. The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, well, he could be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the beach, on sand. And the rains came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell, it was a great crash. So here's what we need to understand is that life, in life, there will be storms. There will be rains, there will be winds, and the streams will rise. And there are times in life that your marriage is going to be really, really hard, really, really difficult. There's going to be times, I'll tell you, raising kids and teenagers can be really, really challenging. There's times that your job and your career isn't going quite like you would hope it to go. It's really, really disappointing. Sometimes your health becomes a major issue in your life. The rains come. The winds blow. And Jesus is telling folks, if you'll be wise enough to pay attention to the wisdom of the scriptures, you'll be able to get through seasons like that. But if you ignore the advice, the wisdom, the principles of God's eternal word, you can expect that your life is not going to be able to navigate the difficult times. In a redemptive community, we must be reminded that the scriptures are God's abiding words for our lives this day. And the more we adhere our lives to its wisdom, the better life will go for us. And a redemptive community acknowledges that the scriptures are extremely important to how that community works. You're probably not clueless to what we see happening in our culture these days. There's two things happening. Maybe you've noticed like I have. 
It's really, really unpopular these days to describe almost anything as being wrong or being bad, and you certainly can't call anything sin because that's judgmental and that's exclusive and that makes people feel bad. The second thing that we see a lot happening in a culture that's saying you can't say something's bad, you can't say something's wrong, you can't say something is sin. Another thing that we're seeing a lot of is, well, Jesus loves everybody. Jesus accepts everything. And therefore, if you have this accepting, loving Jesus, and you're not allowed to call anything bad, then everything's good. And then you get into that discussion and you start to bring up the Bible and you say, yeah, but here's what God has to say about that, then that's all dismissed because the Bible's just ancient literature. It's not relevant to our times anymore. A redemptive community understands differently. A redemptive community understands that we don't fit the Bible up under our culture, but that our culture is to be fit up under our Bible. Does that make sense? that what we're defining as a redemptive culture and the way that we're going to treat each other and how we're going to respond to what's going on in the world is defined in the eternal words of God as declared in the pages of the scripture. This book right here must be central to everything that we do as a church family. Does that make sense? So we got to move on. I want to be uh, quick about this. Supremacy of Jesus, the centrality of the gospel, the authority of scripture, the necessity of spiritual renewal. Folks, I can't emphasize this enough that a a redemptive community is populated by individuals who are diligently pursuing their own relationship with Jesus. I mean, look at some of the ways that Jesus talks about there. The scripture talks about Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do anything. You can talk about trying to rebuild your life. You can talk about changing your ways. You can talk about overcoming an addiction. Jesus says, well, apart from me, you can't do this. So somehow you must be cultivating and nurturing a renewing relationship with me. Look at this. The apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to do all things. But I have to be nurturing that relationship with Christ if I hope to have that kind of power. Look at this, 2 Peter, his divine power, God's divine power has given us as believers in Jesus Christ, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Jesus. Folks, we have to understand that this redemptive work that we're hoping to see happen in our church and in our lives, it is a deeply spiritual work. It comes from spiritual roots. It doesn't happen apart from the grace of God at work through the power of Jesus in our life. And so we, as the individual members of the redemptive community, we must all be making a diligent effort to nurture and cultivate our own relationship with Christ so that we can draw on the power that we hope to provide to each other. Does that make sense? And then finally, we have the supremacy of Jesus I'm sorry, not finally, second to finally. The centrality of the gospel, the authority of the scripture, the necessity of spiritual renewal, and I just can't say enough about this one, the priority of community. The priority of community. That's togetherness. That's you and I learning to live our lives in each other's company. 
being open and honest about what's really going on in our life and inviting each other in for each other's help. I see this all the time. A lot of people, they wanna do their spiritual journey and they wanna keep it private and they wanna keep it personal. They just sort of wanna go about their own spiritual journey all by themselves. The only problem with that is God did not design us to thrive as Lone Rangers. He invited us to live in community, to live in the company of one another. There's a couple right now in this room who several years ago, their marriage was completely broken. They had moved out. They were working toward divorce. But it was the power of a small group in their life that encouraged them and prayed them and kept pushing them back toward each other. And today their marriage thrives and is restored because of the power of community that surrounded them with the love and the support of Jesus Christ in their life. So, so many people want to do it by themselves, and it just was not designed to be done by itself. Just look at some of these passages of Scripture. The Lord said, this is all the way back in creation. The Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, don't make that about male. He's recognizing I've created the first human being. This is not good that a human being live alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper that's compatible and suitable and will bring another dimension to life so that this human being can thrive. God intended from creation that we live in community with one another. Look at this. Jesus says, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. I'm there when people get together in community. People get together in groups. Look at this. Let us, not, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for God who has promised is faithful. Let us consider, let us as a community consider how we may spur one another on to do what is good and right, to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, it was designed in the first century church, the instructions from the eternal words of scripture that the community of faith was to get together, put our heads and hearts together and figure out how to keep moving forward in the pursuit of following Jesus. We need each other. So with that said, can I be really honest about something? Okay, I'm going to take that as permission. <laughs> I want to talk to two groups of people. I'm not trying to be snarky, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. But I need to be honest. If the extent of your participation in the life of this church is an hour and 15 minutes or so on a Sunday morning, and that's it, you just need to understand that the power of redemptive community is gonna have a really hard time being available to work in your life. If the extent of your experience is coming into this service and basically staring at the back of somebody's head for an hour and 15 minutes, God's redemptive work and what he hopes to accomplish is just going to be very limited in what could happen in your life. God intended us to look each other in the eyeballs and understand where each other's coming from and what's unfolding in our story and being open and honest about what's going on in our lives so that the redemptive power of prayer and companionship and authenticity can be at work in our midst. 
So I encourage you to consider in what other ways can I get involved in the life of the church so that I can know more people and they can know me. Does that make sense? Okay. Those of you in the room get to relax for a minute. I want to talk to those of you online. Now, again, I understand there's all sorts of different experiences about why you can and cannot attend church services. Some of them have to do with health, health issues. Some have to do with other limitations. But I just want to say to you, as honestly as I can, asking you to be honest with yourself, if the reason that you're not coming to services here locally is because it's just more convenient and more comfortable for you to stay at home, I'm just going to remind you that the power of redemptive community is going to be very limited in your experience. Does that make sense? If you can be a part of community, seize that opportunity. Avoiding relationships in no way opens us up to the possibility of redemptive community. All right, we got to move on. Um, I'd like to say more, but keep myself out of trouble. All right, the last and finally, the reciprocity of love. If there's anything that's required to make a redemptive community work, it must be about Jesus. It must be about the gospel. It must be about the scriptures. It must be each of us doing our part to spiritually pursue a relationship with Christ. It must be about community. And ultimately, it has to be full of all sorts of gracious, kind, compassionate love for each other and wherever we may be in life and whatever's going on in our life. Redemption occurs in the context of love. Any of us who've been redeemed were redeemed only because of God's outrageous love toward us. And so this is true. A community of Christ followers becomes a redemptive community when we pay forward to others the same outrageous love we receive from God through Jesus. Look at this. It's the defining characteristic of Christ's followers. Jesus said, a new command I give to you, and it's this, love one another. As I've loved you, you must love one another. By this, people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. It has to be a defining characteristic of redemptive community. We love because he first loved us. The motivation and the power and the example of how we love each other is what we have received from Christ himself. And here's what love looks like. This is how it works in a community. It has to be patient. It has to be understanding that it, always doesn't, it doesn't always go like we'd hope and it takes longer than we'd like. It's patient, it's kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. So if we want to be a redemptive community, if we want to be the kind of place where a redemptive community happens, we must keep Jesus at the center. We must allow the scriptures to speak into our lives and define how we are to follow Jesus. We need to be open to each other and allow each other into one another's life if we hope to be of help to each other. 
and we must show enormous amounts of love and grace and compassion and patience with each other as we work through what God is doing in each other's life. 